0: Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today we are going to dive deep in a really fascinating area, which is omega-3, which uh, has some controversy about it, but we're going to be discussing it with one of the leading experts in this area who um, has some conflict of interest because he's a research scientist with the largest company in the world that uh, harvests krill from the ocean, Acker and, uh, but he's really, really knowledgeable of this. I'm so looking forward to discussing some of the details of how omega-3 works in, in mitochondrial metabolism. So it's going to be fascinating. So welcome. And his name is Dr. Nils Holm. So welcome. And thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much. I certainly look forward to this discussion.
0: Okay, good. Yeah. We had a preliminary call a few weeks ago and it was just fascinating. So we're going to hopefully expand on a lot of the topics we we dialogue. Then, so perhaps you can provide uh, those who aren't aware of you or your work uh, your your background, so that yeah. we can dive into the discussion.
1: Yeah, my in my academic life, I spent the first uh, almost twenty years as a researcher at the University of Oslo, and so I got my actually both my masters and my doctorate from the University of Oslo in pharmacology, and I was a a uh, an associate professor there for until I left for working in uh, actually uh, early drug development and more on the commercial side, and I did that uh, until 15 years ago when I came back to Norway from Germany at that time, uh, uh, and to work for uh, for actually. And since then, the last 15 years, I've been working uh, within Arkema Marine now as the chief scientist of the of the organization. But I'm by heart and mind really a pharmacologist. Excellent.
0: So it gives you an, an interesting perspective on this, and and you've uh, done some deep dives and studied of the mitochondria, which is one of my fascinations because, from my perspective, it's really the primary, one of the primary focuses of optimizing health. Because if you can get your mitochondria working and working well and minimize the damage to that to those uh, organelles and cellular structures which are responsible of course for pr- producing most of our cellular energy about 80 90% of it in the form of atp you're going to do pretty well and it seems to me the crux i used to think the crux of all disease was insulin resistance but not really <laughs> that's definitely an issue but it foundationally it impacts the the, the ability of the mitochondria to, to function properly and produce Produce ATP because if you if you put a mitochondrial cytok- a a, 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 a mitochondrial poison like cyanide, which essentially binds to the complex four, literally w- within a f- few minutes or maybe seconds, I don't know, you're going to be dead because you, the, the the mitochondria lose the ability to produce energy and you you can't survive without energy so uh, i'm not sure what your view of mitochondria is but or the importance but uh, maybe you can share with us and then we can dive deep in some of those those components
1: actually what my my way into all of this actually came through membranes uh, as you know wow. the, the pharmacology very much of of what we deal with all of it happens in a membrane somewhere and you when you have that perspective on some of the biochemistry you realize that the membranes is the universal surface onto which uh, and into which you um, assemble uh, the 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 uh, cellular machinery uh, very mm-hmm. little in the cell just floats around it's it's, it's a very complex structure uh, and membranes are really fascinating that way and the integrity of membranes uh, is absolutely vital for uh, for the function of the cell and let's not also forget that uh, the membrane hosts what I call response elements. Uh, and that there is a number of those. but but of course, almost all signaling, uh, except for for uh, for uh, hormones, all short uh, path signaling uh, starts uh, much of it starts in the membrane.
0: Yes, and of course, the mitochondria have two membranes: the inner one and the outer. Yep. Uh, so, so, there's especially important, and and uh, you know, if the if the if the if, so, what is your view of the? Uh, maybe describe your perception of the structure of membranes, because you know, there's some controversy on this too. I think Gilbert Lang. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but he has an interesting view on this. Uh, And the specific details I'm forgetting now, but I do know that there's some controversy around this topic.
1: Now, you know much of what we know about the membrane is what is called the mosaic uh, theory and um and it's been uh, it's been good for us uh out of many reasons but uh, I think it is fair to say both for the, the general cell membrane but also for the internal membranes uh that is the the uh, the um Golgi apparatus and the endoplasmatic reticulum and then also of course the the uh, mitochondrial membrane um there is the complexities of these are are relatively large, uh, and to understand exactly how we both build and maintain those membranes is is, uh, I think there is a lot to learn. Um, we know some of this, but there is a lot that we we do not know. Uh, um, it, it's of course they are lipid structures, and that is something that of course interests me. And it's lipid structures that are made of phospholipids and. And, and a number of other uh, constituents, but but the main structure is, is is this bilayer of phospholipids. And then, in membranes, then there are two phospholipids that really matters, and that is phosphatidylcholine and phosphatidyl ethanolamine. And both of them are charged, uh, or not charged, but but sorry, but they are um, ampholytic uh, molecules. So they have a polar end and a nonpolar end, and. Um, and they're really uh, they're really interesting uh, molecules because uh, even from a from a uh, developmental uh, uh, perspective, because there are the few molecules we know that actually organize themselves into structures spontaneously. You could take. Phospholipids and put them into water, and suddenly you have a some sort of a sheet or a membrane that that forms. Uh, so forming structure rather than chaos is a hallmark of these uh, really interesting molecules.
0: So how maybe you can walk us through how these constituents in the membrane get assembled there. I mean, we eat our food, so that's the, the initial raw material, substrate that they can be used, but then somehow. The lipids or the fats that we consume need to be converted to these phospholipids and yeah. assembled in the membrane. Maybe you can help us understand. Yeah, actually,
1: the biochemical it. pathway even to triglycerides. So it's it, they're part of this large class of lipids that we call glycerolipids. And the the the, uh, the biochemical pathway to triglycerides even goes through phospholipids. So that's an interesting one. But 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 of course. Um, uh some fats we are able to synthesize uh palmitic acid for example uh if you eat uh, sugar then your body fastly uh will make that uh, sugar into storage uh, and in, yeah. in the form of palmitic acid so and, saturated and that's, fat.
0: Saturated fat. that's 18 yes. to 16. Yeah.
1: Uh, 16, palmitic acid would be uh, 18, and then uh, also uh, stearic acid would be 16, uh, the the medium-sized. Now, then there are other fats that we are not to any degree able to synthesize. So neither the omega-6 linoleic acid or alpha-linolenic acid, which is the omega-3 we can synthesize, uh, and the longer chain omega threes and omega sixes, um, pretty much for for the omega three is the conversion of from the shorter chain to the longer chain is really quite lousy, and it, there is a competition. With omega sixes also, and since we decided—I'm not even sure if we decided—but since humans started to consume huge amounts of omega (laughs) six, then (laughs) then uh, then that is in a in a in a very strict competition with uh, with the elongation of the of uh, of ALA and fundamentally we have to uh, take in the long chain uh, omega-3 fatty acid. Well, well, let
0: me stop there before I proceed, because that's a really important point. And I think it's frequently glossed over even in healthcare professionals. And so I just want to restate what you said and emphasize it. And if I'm misinterpreting something, then please let me know. But the... There's two omega two polyunsaturated fats that are considered to be essential in, in conventional medicine. One of them is the omega-6 linoleic acid. The other, and these that's an 18-carbon. And the other was is the omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid. It's and that's also an 18-carbon. But those we can't make, and we have to get it from the diet. Uh, correct. But the others we can make, the 20 EPA for omega-3s and uh, 20, uh, 22, which is a DHA. Uh, so they, they can be elongated, I think by a desaturase, Delta six desaturase, if I'm not mistaken. And the problem is that there's competitive inhibition for that enzyme, that enzyme. So that if you, omega three seems to be, is literally what most people believe and understand to be the the important uh, polyunsaturated or essential fat that we need to acquire, especially the longer chains. But when you've got literally tenfold, that's a thousand percent more omega-6 floating around than supposed to be. And then we consumed 150 years ago. Then this end, the delta-6 desaturase is going to focus on that. And I think it converts that into arachidonic acid, if I'm not mistaken. And instead of converting the alpha-linolytic acid to EPA, so is that the crux of the problem? Did I summarize
1: exactly. That? And it is um it it's not just it's both the elongase as well as there are two different Okay, delta okay, 5 so there's delta two. 6. Okay. Yeah. So but both of these are are basically um when the amount of omega 6s are so high then uh they will be busy doing that. There is there it, it there is no reason in this. It's just that the, the the enzymes will take whatever is around. And uh and uh it's known, for example, that I've seen data from a, a, a Japanese professor showed me data from an inner Mongolia where they eat no seafood at all, but they eat a lot of grass-fed uh milk uh, or, or meat from grass-fed uh, cattle, but also milk and, and, and dairy products uh, that where cattle has been only grassing. And then they actually get a lot of, of ALA uh, and very little omega-6s. And they actually had pretty high levels of EPA and DHA despite not eating any seafood at all. Uh, so okay, that so- kind of uh, tells the story, I think.
0: Yeah, I I think that that highlights what a really important concept that I wanted to to ask you about, because one would think historically that if you can get your levels down of linoleic acid to one to 2% of your total of your body fat, which pretty much everyone had prior to 1870, uh, but now it's at the 25%, you know, 20 20 to 25, maybe even higher fold. And so they've got this store, which ultimately becomes... uh, metabolized and used, even if they aren't eating any, but if they, if they get to to historical norms and you have very low levels of linoleic acid, then there's, it's not this competition for Delta six. And if you have a, a baseline level of ALA, the alpha linolenic acid, the omega three, then you can, then you can make substantial amounts and have healthy uh, amounts of omega three that you need in your body uh, produced from the, ALA, that's in, that's pretty much available in most foods, like like linoleic acid, uh, and you don't have to rely on taking supplements. Would that be f- a fair assumption?
1: But this is I think, this- yeah. no, I think that's correct. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, I think absolutely, I think that's correct. But but of course, with today's food, it's highly yeah. Unpleasant.
0: That's a, that was the copy I was going to say. Almost no one is there. Almost no, no one is there.
1: No, so and and uh, and the only way of doing it today is actually to increase your intake of uh, omega threes, and and that works quite well. It's almost like if you have an aquarium, and you and you want to make that aquarium blue, so you drop a little drop of ink into your, into your aquarium, then. Or decide, blue. Or yeah, blue. <laughs> so you want you want it to be blue and then you put a little drop of ink into your aquarium, then that will make the, the water blue. OK, then you decide, I want the blueness to be twice as strong. Then you can do two things. You could add one more drop of ink. That's the omega 3s Or you could reduce the amount of water by half. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what you're into um the 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 uh the amount of omega-6s are so huge as compared with with the omega omega-3s that the only the only feasible way of increasing your omega-3s in the membranes is through uh, through taking omega-3s and uh it's well in our research and in many other others research we've done looked at at you know what is the kinetics how how is the dynamics of of of, of this and then uh, there is a one-to-one exchange of EPA and DHA for omega sixes in the membrane. So uh, you, the membrane, if you increase the amount of uh, one molar amount of, of of EPA and DHA in the membrane, then you kick out exactly the same amount of omega sixes. So, mm-hmm. and it's important to to realize this that that um, the membrane will be a actually be a reflection. Of your intake of omega sixes versus omega threes, but you can't really do much with with the omega sixes because they're everywhere. Uh, you would starve then, and then, uh, but you can fix it by increasing your intake of omega threes. Well, long I,
0: I think pragmatically, I think that's correct, but it is possible. And you know, I myself have reduced my my intake of omega six to under one percent. And I've only been doing it for about three or four years. It takes about six or seven to fully get out of your membranes mm. uh, and, and your adipose tissue stores, primarily. But I, I'm curious, uh, and this is what I encourage people. But the, I, your explanation really helps solidify this important concept of, in my mind, which I was some well, I had recalled some of the sp- specifics, but it didn't really consolidate like. With your, like I had when I heard you state that, so that's really important. So thank you, because I'm, I'm passionate about omega six. I'm actually in the process on the fourth round of a peer review paper for, for being submitted to Nutrients, which is a pretty high impact nutritional journal, uh, on a historical perspective of linoleic acid and mm. in, in, in the context of it. But I, I, I think we need to, you know, there's, I mean, big farm is an issue, but big food is just as bad. Uh, in some cases, even worse. So they've they've essentially loaded this up with this omega six for well over 100 years, coming up mm-hmm. 150. So it is it is really 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 hard to do it, but it is possible. So the the question I had was with respect to I I wasn't aware of this, um, I guess, competitive inhibition. It's it's a form of that where. If you add more omega-3, it kicks the omega-6 out of the membrane. But the the omega-3 that we're ingesting is such a small component relative to the omega-6 in most people. So uh, the question becomes how much would make a difference? And then the the, the really the the, ca- the question to catalyzed was what, what happens to the omega-6 once it's displaced out of the membrane? Is it burned as fuel? Is it gone? Is it put back into the adipose cells? What happens to it?
1: You know, I really can't answer that question. I, I, I've only, I only seen that on the membrane level. It's kicked out of the membrane. I would guess that it is both being burnt as fuel and it will be stored in the adipocytes, like like other fats. Uh, and, uh, but, but it is. Uh, what I can tell you is that we've been studying the. So remember, I'm a pharmacologist and I'm trained in pharmacokinetics. So we've been studying the, the mass transport of EP and DHA. And it's really fascinating because you have a meal of salmon today, uh, Dr. Mykola, and uh, EP and DHA from that meal is going to wash around in your in your circulation and, and be exchanged with a, within all different organs in your body for 14 days afterwards. And mm-hmm. it takes... 14 days. And why,
0: then, why is it? That doesn't make a lot of sense. What, what
1: allows it to do that? Well, it- we see that it undoes so it goes in and out of plasma, and you know plasma is just how to store, how to 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 send it around. So mm-hmm. it goes in and out of. I, frankly, I don't I don't really know because it's more complex than you usually see with any drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see at least three waves of undulations from when you take it. So it, it increases in plasma, and it decreases in plasma, and decreases again. Uh, from six hours, then you have a 24-hour peak, and then you have another one, usually around 30 hours. Uh, we don't actually specifically know, but when I look at how it's being incorporated into different um, tissues, then that might give uh, give you uh, some ideas. It, you, you see how, for example, the liver really, really wants EPA and DHA. The brain, uh, if you, we've done experiments with lysophosphatidylcholine, which is Actually, the form that is being transported into the brain and into neuronal tissue, and if you inject uh, EPA and DHA LPC, so lysophosphatidylcholine with EPA and DHA on it, it it shoots into the brain and it shoots also across the the the, uh, the blood retina barrier. Uh, so you see some organs that are very keen on grabbing uh, uh, these molecules, and they. It's what we call an infinite sink. So, for example, that what goes to the brain seems to stay in the brain until it's broken down. Uh, mm-hmm. With half-lives, that is probably hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, while in the circulation, the half-life is pretty much like uh, 100-ish hours, uh, longer for DHN, for EPA. But what this means is also that when you change your intake so you change your dose if you supplement then it takes about 600 hours until at least until you are back at steady state Hmm. so you can't fix anything fast um, with with those fatty acids you really need to be patient and body it takes its time until it has settled on a new uh, equilibrium so to say so but I have never seen any other substance having such a complex distribution, uh, and With the uh, omega threes in the blood, and that's the omega threes. And and uh, well, should we be surprised? Well, you find those fatty acids in every single membrane, even in the in the, uh, even in the uh, the uh, mitochondrial membrane, every single membrane in our body. And if you ask me, uh, What's the total size of membranes in us? You know, I'm in no position to answer that. It's an enormous surface that is made out of a thin, thin, thin layer of of, of, of lipids uh, where EPA and DHA and also arachidonic acid acid plays a role. Uh, But, uh, for example, uh, the amount of saturated fat in this membrane seems to be absolutely stable. Uh, Nothing happens. Uh, So... When you take different fats, then it's mainly the EPA or maybe omega-6, omega-3 that, that really changes. Now, there might be other fats also like neuronic acid or some, some others, what I call structural fats that also matters. But so far, our research has been on the omega-6s and the omega, omega-3s. And by the way, I call those fatty acids um, structural fats because they really do have a structure, while the... Saturated fats are structural. Structural fats, yes. So because I think of them like you would do as an architect, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they sure. have structure, the Brick and mortar. That, yeah. And the other fats, uh, for example, palmitic acid, so the the completely saturated fats, they are super flexible, and they really, their structure is... Uh, they have far less structure, really. Uh, you you could twine them into it's like a a, a piece of, of piece of rope, really, and 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 really doesn't infer structures in the same way into the membrane.
0: So what what is the structural component of it back then? I got it confused.
1: The, the circular it is the double bonds. Uh, so oh, this, really? The this polyunsaturated. Double, oh, yes. It it okay. it fixes the because uh, when you have unsaturated. I thought it would be the exact opposite.
0: I thought polyunsaturated
1: fats were were fluid and liquid and contribute. Hey, yeah, the polyunsaturated. No, the no, no. They are, of the membrane. No, they make the membrane probably more fluid because they create space in the membrane. Mm-hmm. Well, so they need their own space because they have structures. So they, mm-hmm. yeah, in, oh, in the three dimensions. So now I get it. Because it, yep. they,
0: they take up room and space because of the exactly. double bonds. That they're larger molecules. You can, yeah. you they t- consume a lot more space, and that makes perfect sense. And the
1: saturated fats are just straight lines. Exactly, and then and then they can coalesce. They can line up side by side, right. and then they actually uh, solidify. Okay, lead.
0: now I got it. Now I got yeah. it. Okay. So you had mentioned earlier, and uh, there's two, two points I want to follow up on the lipophosphatidylcholine. Now, most yes. of us have heard of phosphatidylcholine, but what is lipophosphatidylcholine?
1: Lyso. No, not lipo. Lyso, Lyso. I'm sorry. Lysol. Lyso, Lyso just right. means that you take out one fatty acid. So, oh, you know, okay. Okay. so uh, and, and that's a really interesting molecule because uh, it's, it is a form of transporting uh, uh, fatty acids now remember fatty acids has or the definition of fat is really uh, not very sharp it, definition of fat is largely something that doesn't go into aqua solution <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, of, of hydrocarbons that is so so um so the hallmark of fats is that they really do not like water and remember how do you transport something Throughout our body that doesn't go into aqueous solution, that's actually a huge problem, and that's where the lipoproteins comes in, mm-hmm. and micellar cellular structures. Um, now, um, and that would, an example of that would be the lipoproteins for cholesterol,
0: like HDL. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, it's where cholesterol. In that case, plays. they're transferring to cholesterol
1: as the fat. Yeah, and where cholesterol uh, cholesterol plays a very important factor into the structure of any mi- membrane. You know, without mm-hmm. cholesterol, we would die. Uh, you know, there is no way around that. That they're really important molecules. And I think, uh, frankly, I think uh, uh that we shouldn't go too far into but 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 in a way cholesterol has been demonized. But but that, that that's a different story. Yeah,
0: it's a whole different yeah. yeah.
1: Different but, and... but the thing is that the the uh the the you need a fundamental water solubility for any molecule to move across any membrane or to move from one place to another it must go into solution somehow Mm -hmm. now the min the 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 maximal uh solubility of for example epa is 10 to the minus minus eighteenth. it's practically completely unsoluble so here comes the problem how do we then get it into the brain Mm -hmm. And Nature fixed that. Uh, And this is a paper from David Silver and his group in in 2014 when that came. They showed that there is a transporter that transports lipids into the brain, but they do not transport the fatty acid. They transport the fatty acid bound to lysophosphatidylcholine. And that molecule is way more water soluble. 10 to the minus fourth, actually. Hmm. Um, And in a way, that's how nature solved that problem. Instead of being on its own, it's like EPA and DHA and a number of other fats actually sit on a ferry boat. Uh, And the ferry boat is lysophosphatidylcholine that transported it into the brain. And then the transporter, MFST2A, it's called, uh, actually brings that molecule, not the fatty acid, but that molecule that brings with it uh, EPA and DHA and also other fats into the brain. Okay, and
0: perfect. the
1: same goes same goes for, for the eye, but also such places at the liver. The mm-hmm. liver has uh, uh, lots of this this transport molecule, even maybe the, the brush border in the gut. Um, now it also sits in the placenta. So the same transporter transports DHA from the multitude of fetus and a number of other fats, actually. Uh, so it, it, it's really, um, it makes a lot of sense uh, for our body to keep itself with a small but important amount of lysophosphatidylcholine in the circulation.
0: Okay, so that, this is a key point. This is one to want you to expand on this because... I wasn't aware of lysophosphatidylcholine. I suspect many people aren't. But with your definition, it's simply phosphatidylcholine that has a fatty acid. So, which just one fatty acid? Just one fatty acid. So that would seem, and it plays this pivotal role in your body. That it's foundational and really crucial to optimizing your health. So it would seem that it's it's equally crucial to make sure you have a regular supply supply of phosphatidylcholine
1: exactly and of course yeah of course people don't this is a this is a common nutritional deficiency no but when you eat phosphatidylcholine and and this was um we had a little bet going on between two uh, me and and one of my colleagues we we were saying that if you take krill oil then of course you supply phosphatidylcholine, and then through digestion you you would get rid of one of the fatty acids, and then you would you would see an uptake of lysophosphatidylcholine. And to a certain extent, yes, you do that. But then we synthesized lysophosphatidylcholine, and we both both injected it, and we gave it po. Mm-hmm. And big surprise, uh, because uh, you definitely uh, you see. Uh, more of an absorption of lysophosphatidylcholine into certain tissues when you you take it alone, uh, and you also there is always a, a bit of a loss of fats. So when you eat both triglycerides and phospholipids, you see a loss between fifteen and five percent, uh, kind of a blocked loss in in your gut, probably because the the digestion is too slow. Uh, mm-hmm. But but uh, we were really surprised to learn that when taking lysophosphatidylcholine uh, as it is, then you actually saw a different pattern of uptake and distribution than you do when you take a PC or phosphatidylcholine. So we were just wrong. And, and if you ask me, do I understand why? Uh, not really. Uh, probably, there are two ways. Or the standard uh, description of fat absorption, Dr. McCullough, is that it's broken down. First, into its, into its fatty acid, then taken up into the uh, enterocyte. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it is resynthesized into a triglyceride, and then it is, uh, it is put into what is called a cholomicron, which is kind of a, a, a little bubble, a fat bubble. And then that one is transported into our body through lymph. And so it goes from lymph, and then it is, it is transported into vena cava, and then it meets the whole body. But many most substances that we take up from our gut actually has another route. Uh, the lymph route is very unusual. Uh, so the, the main route is um, through the hepatic circulation, what is called the portal circulation, from the gut and then directed to the liver and then mm-hmm. from the liver to the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. And for certain types of, so for example, lysophosphatidylcholine, there is quite a few indicators that points to that, that they may be taken up through that route. So then they hit the liver, which probably explains why you find MFSD2A, this transporter there. And so you have these two routes of, of how lipids enter our body, one through lymph and other through the hepatic circulation. And uh, m- uh, triglycerides are almost exclusively taken up uh, in the, uh, through, the, through the lymph. While with phospholipids and especially lysophosphatidylcholine, then they seem to go both ways, and that might be of, of, of significance because the processing of these lip, lipids um, are different. And as you know, the liver has it has a key role in, in in making the lipoproteins and lipoprotein particles. That is how we actually deal with 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 fats.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still a bit confused, and hopefully you can clear it up. Uh, lysophosphatidylcholine is crucial to transporting these single fatty acids. Uh, okay. There's two ways that we can get it. One is we can get it by consuming phosphatidylcholine and then making it. Yep. The other is to actually consume it already preformed in foods like krill. So can, can you explain? If- no, it's, it's a...
1: It's a little bit more complex. Uh, of even, course, if you, of you, course. even if you even, even if you eat only triglycerides, you will make you will make So Oh, so you Yeah, oh, we have, so a, you, you, yeah, we have endogenous,
0: endogenously produce the capacity yes it.
1: Yeah. Okay. yes, it is. Uh but you need choline and you okay, need choline. the raw materials to make it. Uh and if of course if you are going to make a lysophosphatidylcholine with EP and DHA on it, you definitely need those fatty acids. Yeah, so, so, so would
0: so, you would you say choline is the rate right limiting nutrient to create phosphatidyl, isop, yes, uh,
1: definitely uh, it is, uh, and and it's uh, choline is super interesting these days. Uh, Norway is uh, or the Nordic countries now will have a a, 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 um, a nutrient recommendation for for choline. Uh, it, it's being proposed these days because it turns out and, and you have to excuse me but really I, I, it's almost hard to believe that something as central to our to our metabolism as choline and 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 um, uh, it, most uh surveys suggest both in the US and in Europe suggest that the population uh, on in general do not get more than 80 to 85% of what we need uh yeah. and-, and what is it how, what's it? Percentage requirements like four,
0: five hundred milligrams a day?
1: Yeah, it, it's in that neighborhood. Uh, the there is a difference in the US and in uh, in the US, you make a distinction between women and and, and men because mm-hmm. we have different requirements. Uh, while in Europe, there is only one number, which is um, uh, five fifty. If I'm not sure, if I'm not wrong, okay. but but it's uh, it's hard to believe that we actually have, uh, that our food isn't rich enough, it's something as essential as choline. Uh, Now, of course, choline is also super um, important for liver health because Mm -hmm. it is one of the factors that decides if liver will accumulate too much triglycerides. And as you you know, Dr. Makola, there is something peculiar about the liver because the liver cell stores fat in in regular liver cells, um, that doesn't happen else, elsewhere in the body. Fats are stored in specialized uh, adipocytes. So, uh, it, liver cells are the only cells that can that, that can get fatty, uh, really. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, there you have uh, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, really. And, yes. and uh, which probably is way too more widespread and than people are aware of, and because, it's a layer of acid. To, <laughs> yeah, and it's very hard to diagnose. Uh, you know, we, basically, you need a biopsy. Now there are new methods coming around, um, mm-hmm. compound methods to diagnose non-alcoholic fatty liver, and I think we will soon find ourselves in a situation where. 30 40 50% of the population actually has this pre-disease condition. Uh, I think from... we're there now. Yep, I think you're right. Yeah, I think we are. Uh, and now. Uh, I think we need to we really need to put more focus onto that you know, because it's the first step on metabolic syndrome. It, it's the sliding sliding towards well, And the,
0: Well, you know, I mean, it's such liver so essential and critical, and especially to this part of the discussion, because they're making the lipoproteins. <laughs> and if you have are. a 40 to 50% impairment in your ability to do that, you can put the raw materials in, but it's going to seriously impair you. So you yeah. really... You know, it's a big issue. It all, in my mind, all boils back to linoleic acid. You've got to get it low, low, low. And it's almost a cure for NAFLD. Uh, once you get it low enough, it, it'll reverse. Thankfully, the liver is the, the probably the single most regenerative tissue in your entire body. I think you can cut out 75, 80% of it and it will, and it will, will reproduce itself, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Correct, but when you get down to steatosis, uh, so as um, long as there is no structural damage, yes, okay. then you have okay. a structural damage, and then really it, it's it's fabulous it's ability. It's too late. So uh, and and there are several strings of research that shows that it increase your intake of choline, increase your intake of omega-3s, or basically increase your intake of phosphatidylcholine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could actually reverse from non-alcoholic fatty liver back to to a mm-hmm. more normal liver, and instead of sliding further down into steatosis and 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 and, and metabolic syndrome. So,
0: can you review for, with us the best sources of phosphatidylcholine, which I think would be soy and and probably some seafoods or or choline. Seafood
1: seafood definitely um, uh, and and of course uh, you you soy uh, is but soy phospholipids are different they first of all you have more of the different classes so it's not a pure phosphatidylcholine but also ethanolamine and pi so in, inositol and then serine forms of of, the, of those glycerophospholipids so uh, the, the the marine forms are usually more uh, pure phosphatidylcholine mm. uh, sources. And then they also usually come with EPA and DHA, uh, you know, the, the marine long chain. So in a way, uh, marine phospholipids is in this respect some sort of a Swiss knife. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they have it all. Uh, so, and, and of course, that's it, one of the in- reasons for why I'm so interested in in in, uh, in krill oil because it's so rich in exactly these marine uh, phospholipids that, that contain EPA and DHA.
0: And for um, the choline, would it would it primarily
1: be eggs? Is the primary source? Yeah, of that that's one. But frankly, any time you eat a cell, you will get it. It's just that the amounts are oh. so small. So anything, but but the amounts are very small. But but of course, if you eat then uh, seafood, uh, then you would get some of it, or actually quite a lot. The the one thing that I that I would point out though is that um, choline supplements are almost exclusively uh, salts of choline, and mostly um, the uh, bitartrate regarded the best one there are also so choline chloride but that's not so common now there are certain questions about the the benefit of that because when you take a choline salt then um, bacteria in your gut and it depends on the on exactly what kind of biome you have so what kind of bacteria you have but they will uh they will actually metabolize choline and so it it will be It will be reduced, uh, and it will be made into trimethylamine, uh, and that will diffuse across uh, into your body, and in your body will then oxidize it to trimethylamine oxide, and then excrete it again. But Mm -hmm. that uh, sequence has been has been questioned with regards to cardiovascular health, and it's been pointed that to that uh, carnitine. Is part of this uh, of this uh, sequence also, so it may explain why you do indeed see higher levels or, or you see increased levels of cardiovascular disease when you have a high intake of of red meat. Uh, but there are still parts of that puzzle that we do not understand. But but uh, we've done research where we looked at if uh, if you take phosphatidylcholine, will that be uh, metabolized by bacteria and the answer is so far as we have done looked at it no so we see when when you compare it directly with the bitartrate then we see an increase in in the plasma levels of uh, of um, the the oxide the trimethylamine oxide um when you take it as a bitartrate but you do not see that increase uh with when you take phosphatidylcholine interesting
0: so col- that's a side effect of taking supplemental choline yeah that's interesting um, another powerful support for eating whole foods that's <laughs> really hard to go. Really? You eat. I think totally food agree. is your primary source of these because you know you have this intellectual perception of a need, a biological need, and you know for whatever reason you're unable to meet that for your dietary choices, so you ch- chose choose to supplement and you don't, and there's consequences for that. I mean, that's yeah. why the general philosophical decision or strategy is to literally every single time acquire from a whole food source. I want to get back to the other thing you mentioned. You, you reminded me, and i really like you to expand on this because there's a lot of confusion. we published articles on this before. People understand, realize, and believe they need to supplement with omega-3. And even now, we're going to go into more, but you provided loads of justificationists to augment your, your normal omega-3 because almost everyone watching us nearly, every, I would say it's one person in a thousand watching this that has a healthy level of linoleic acid. Almost everyone is elevated, mm. but you know, so as, as a result of that, your need for omega-3 is increased because you're, you're just simply unable to make it no matter how much ALA you're making because of this inhibition of the Delta six saturates and the long So Having, we recognize that there's a large number of people who understand the importance of supplementing with omega-3. So they choose fish oil supplements, which is the most common form of omega-3 supplements out there. And it's my impression that the vast majority of them should be avoided. And they may be worse than not taking it at all. And I I definitely want you to comment on this. And this is because most of them are synthetic. They are not the, the triglyceride form that you mentioned earlier. They are an ethyl ester, which is an artifact of the uh, my, as I understand the distillation process, I'm sure you understand this at a much deeper level. You know so I'd like you to walk us through the differences between the synthetic version of fish oil and the one that you find in real seafood, the triglyceride one.
1: So uh, first of all, I, I I do think that almost uh, you know it is uh, since we are since we really need the omega threes, then almost any type you take is good for you but i think that's at the basal level but let's be um so there are two natural forms of of taking EPNDH, and and it's the triglyceride form uh uh and it is the phospholipid form that's how nature provides them Mm -hmm. and then of course the free fatty acid let's not Mm -hmm. forget about that uh but there is a pharmaceutical form uh and I still think that has its utility um, as a pharmaceutical. Uh, there, there are pharmaceutical pharmaceutical use of of these are actually to reduce really high levels of triglycerides. So triglyceridemia mm-hmm. above five hundred, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 there are clear indications for that. But um, to be able to make that into a pharmaceutical, you need it in a very clean form. Uh, that is from a from a from a clean means. Uh, the same always. And then so then you make a synthetic form. So you estrify it not onto a glycerol molecule. That's how we make triglycerides or phospholipids. But you actually estrify it to ethanol, uh, which is also an alcohol. Uh, glycerol is a trivalent alcohol. But then you get something called ethyl esters. So then you have the fatty acid with sort of an ethanol molecule added onto the, the acid function on, on that's why we call it a fatty acid. And they do not exist in nature. Uh, and a main problem of them uh, is that they're not they are harder to digest. Uh, you must take it with a with a lip or a lipid rich meal uh, for it to be so you actually need to to synchronize it with the intake of a meal that contains enough of lipids to kick off the digestion of it now when it's taken up of course then then uh, i don't think it makes much of a difference because then the, the fatty acid will it will be absorbed as is and it will be the the ethanol will be left behind in the gut um but uh, so it's nature made EPA and DHA in the three forms that I mentioned: uh, uh, phospholipids, triglycerides, and free fatty acids. And then we invented the the, the ethyl esters. And and as I said, they definitely have an absorption problem. Uh, so on average, you will that, not that, be able.
0: To... That causes the fish bel- belching and burping the people.
1: Yeah, well, it, your, your body doesn't recognize as that fat so if you take pure tri- for ethyl esters all on its own it will just slide through your body it actually ends up in your stool and wow so that, um uh, but if you take it with a a fatty meal then of course uh, your body recognizes fat and starts the digestion process but i've seen ethyl esters glide through the gut almost unabsorbed wow. so uh what, what, what I, if you
0: took it with a uh, lipase enzyme
1: Yes, uh, you could. Uh, so, but you only need to take it with some food that tells your body that here comes. The it. nick yeah. But okay. but uh, and so in my world, it has its utility. Mm. But I do prefer the natural forms. I do mm. prefer the the uh, I do prefer the the uh, the TG, and I do prefer the the phospholipid forms, uh, and then also as free fatty acids. Uh, that's how yeah. nature does it.
0: So why don't you break down the three natural forms and uh, tell us the primary sources of these? Uh, does do, does most all seafood have all three forms, or some some forms it, are they higher in, in certain for certain types of? <laughs> oh.
1: Most seafoods would have, depending a little bit on, but they, they would typically have both triglycerides, phospholipids, and, of course, the, the interchange form is the free fatty acids. Free fatty acids is really minor. You don't want to find much of free fatty acids. You find some, but but uh, it's really the two major classes of glycerolipids, triglycerides and phospholipids. Uh, that, that That's nature's way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever you eat whole foods, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. Um I I I still think, but, you know, but even I though don't... I work with phospholipids and, tri- and krill oil, I won't talk down uh, fish oils because that's how most people get their 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 EP and DHA and it is way better than not getting it. So mm-hmm. I don't want the best to be the enemy of the good, uh, so to say.
0: Sure. So you're not opposed to ethyl esters in fish oil supplements. Assuming they're high quality and they're taken and consumed with a meal,
1: correct. But I there is one thing that I really do not appreciate in, uh, and this is a particular for the United States. You're allowed to call E.T.L.S. fish oils, and frankly, mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. It needs to be clearly labeled what you what you buy, uh, and, and so there is something that needs to be done. Uh, and you could buy. It. Yeah. Very so you could, right. and of course, that that might even be mixtures of the of, of the different kinds that that might be beneficial. Uh, and of course, one one advantage of the ethyl SS is that you could really clean them out. You could really clean up and take out environmental toxins. Now, the price you pay for that is, as you pointed, that there is a high thermic uh, load on the molecule, uh, and we have had our our you know the history of partially hydrogenated fats and mm-hmm. and trans fats and we've had our bad uh, experiences with having uh, imposed changes in fatty acid or in molecules that we didn't even know uh, about and then 50 years down the road, we found that it had killed a million Americans, really, mm. uh, with, with the hydrogenated, uh, partially partially hydrogenated fats. Mm. Uh, and and cool. now they, they're banned both in the U.S. and in, in Europe.
0: It took a long time, too. And, uh, you know, it was actually a letter uh, catalyzed by Fred Kummerow, who died over 100 years old. He was a research scientist at the University of Illinois, who really pioneered the investigation of trans fats. Yeah. uh in the early night 2000s the fda finally banned them and they're still in foods They're you they give you a limit i i forget what it is it's at about 1% yeah, yeah. it's under 1% per serving yeah. but yeah. they can make the serving ridiculously small and you can they can radically increase it which is typically done
1: no and, and it's uh and it's interesting uh dr Mykola, because why are they dangerous well they're dangerous because they have the wrong ge- geometry Mm-hmm. They are just they have the wrong structure for exactly they bend in the wrong direction and enzymes and certain response elements that read fat, so to say, read them wrong. Uh, and and the way they are inserted into membranes, for example, is not normal. Uh, so you kind of yeah, you get a bent fat. Uh, okay. there are a couple of natural trans fats vaccenic sure. acid I'm, that you find in diary products that seems we be... usually co- from omega
0: 3s right yeah we yeah uh, they are actually co- probably those. biologically beneficial or or I think is CLA trans
1: uh CLA ho oh, 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 um, they might be conjugated linoleic acid uh, they are conjugated linoleic acids i'm no i don't think so but uh, they are they're Uh-oh. special and you you also and find definitely. them in and they're,
0: they're, they're they're typically considered beneficial so yeah. one, one of the other downsides of omega-3 fats is that they are highly unstable they're even more unstable than omega-6 fats which means they're perishable and they're highly susceptible to oxidative stressors and and that leaves them predisposed to oxidation which can spin off these advanced lip oxidation end products like 4 all, which is uh, the omega-6 version, there's, I think it's 4-H-N-E, four, four, four and I think it's 4 yep. hnn for 4-omega-3s. And yep. uh, then malandialdehyde, methyl methylgloxol. There's a lot of them. There's hundreds of them. So yep. the key point here is that it's predisposed to doing this spontaneously. It's e- even more susceptible than omega-6. So w- when you have a whole food version, you uh, typically don't get this because there's intrinsic a- antioxidants. In krill, it's astaxanthin, which... In, in other vehicles vitamin E can actually stop this peroxidation. Uh, so that I'd like you to discuss this because this is a really big issue and you know because a lot of fish oil supplements you know they just don't smell good and that's kind of a clue that there's some there's some oxidation there's some it's rancid it's gone bad and uh, you know it's it's only the pure omega-3 that's going to be beneficial. I think maybe I'm confused. Uh,
1: remember our noses uh, have we developed a extremely sensitive sense of smell for peroxidized fats. So that's interesting in itself it really Yeah. We Objection. don't like. It. So but um and we can smell it at levels that is even difficult to analyze by the most sensitive uh, Wow, behavior. didn't I know that. Yeah. There's no, so we we're, we're we're almost at dog level. <laughs> yeah uh for for peroxides we are almost like dogs uh, so we're really uh and um but how does nature preserve uh so you mentioned uh you mentioned uh, vitamin E about your or tocopherols and then you mentioned ascentin and ascentin is if you look um, into the kingdom of of, of crustaceans then ascentin is really the 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 molecule that nature provides, and it is a fantastic antioxidant in the lipid phase. Don't mm-hmm. uh, as or antioxidants are most of them are water soluble, and mm-hmm. uh, the the scales for how efficient they are are actually defined in the aqueous phase and not in the lipid phase. But mm-hmm. astaxanthin. It's just amazing when you have astaxanthin together with your 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 unsaturated fats, then the astaxanthin is being sacrificed uh, and down into very small levels. Phospholipids are interesting in in another aspect because they because of the the, the phosphate group and what is called the head group, which is in 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 phosphatidylcholine's case is the the choline group. They there is a drag on what we call the pi electrons, but they do not oxidize uh, as as easily as the free fatty acid or as the triglyceride. The, the hmm. most oxidizable would be the free fatty acid. Hmm. And then the next one would be uh, probably the ethyl and then uh, triglycerides. And then phospholipid seems to be the most resistant. Wow. So
0: phospholipids the most protected. And can you walk us through why it's the most protected again? I was yeah, really
1: because the, the, uh, if you look in nature, you find the... EPA and DHA, or the, actually all of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, you will basically find them in what is called the middle position. In, in triglycerides, you oh. have three positions, okay. but uh, in the middle position, that they are the closest to the highly charged phosphate group, uh, and it there is a it holds onto its electrons uh, in the oh. double bond. So, so the oxygen cannot come in or the peroxide cannot come in and kick out the electrons mm-hmm. uh, that's it's it's kind of i want my electrons for myself uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course that that then they they're more resistant to to antioxidant but uh, to to be oxidized Oxidant. but of course in any such fat you need a good antioxidant and astaxanthin is definitely uh very very good uh, and and um, that's exactly why nature makes it that way there are some other retinoids some other similar structures that will do do the trick and typically uh i don't know if you know but it's not the fish that makes ep and dha it's the algae algae right that makes it so fish actually just transport it to us and the same with krill krill Uh, doesn't make EPA and It eats that from the basic algae source. And algaes produce um, uh, these antioxidants also. Maybe Mm -hmm. krill is able to produce astaxanthin. There are some papers that suggest that. But but algae produce a number of such pigments. Um, And we quite often call them photosynthetic pigments but they are also functioning as antioxidants Zeaxanthin, for example is one of those but mm-hmm. there is a number of these molecules and and uh, and astaxanthin happens to be the one that we recognize because of its very red color uh, yeah. but but it there is, are more
0: it, it's a carotenoid as is zeaxanthin as is uh, lutein yeah. yes which are also in eggs you know zeaxanthin and lutein yeah really powerful and well known and documented for for eye protection, um, yes. So an improvement in the vision. So uh, I just want to get back to the color because I'm just personally curious. Shocked would be probably even more accurate that it is so free of peroxides. I mean, it just is so pleasant to consume. So, do is 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 it possible because there's a lot of these the the uh, omega threes are bound up as a
1: phospholipid and they're sort of protected. The cod liver oil the... is a pure tri... cod liver is a pure triglyceride but but Gosh. it simply has to do with the fact that it is produced from absolutely fresh cod liver which is unusual and then it is really really cleaned up it, it, it it's an extensive cleanup process so first of all as i said you start out with something that is pristine and absolutely fresh it's not mm-hmm. stored in in huge tanks and it's not sitting around in 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 weeks or months or two years uh, before it's being processed so it's being uh, early on processed uh, and and then of course um many peroxides are volatile substances and that's exactly why you distill them so Mm -hmm. but but you can make very uh clean uh such oils but of course uh dr Michaela, the best way of all of this would be uh to 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 eat your fish or to eat your crustaceans uh because there they are preserved and it's the freshest you could get mm-hmm. uh, uh so uh it is possible to make supplements uh and among them krill oil to a high degree uh to a high standard uh and then uh, uh, the fortunate thing about oil is that it really doesn't oxidize that uh, that that much because of the acid antenna, because of the structures. But you need then uh, very high standards of production, and uh, and then you need to, to be able to do that. You need monographs that require that, and and unfortunately that that is not always the case. Uh, with chrysolol, we have something called Icos, uh, which is a third party certification uh, by NutraSource that actually. Um in, in a way, don't take our word for it uh, take take uh, take it the third party uh, word for it. and then uh, for all of these uh, product categories, Dr. McCcola, I think uh, one should have uh, independent third party uh, sure. yeah. quality certification scheme.
0: So, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you work for ocker which is the world's largest uh, harvester of krill. Uh, from mostly, I believe the Antarctic, where you spend a lot of time. You were just down there this year and been there regularly, uh, doing your research. Uh, so, can you walk us through the process of how the krill is harvested, how it's certified by the Marine Stewardship Council to be uh, sustainable and not threaten any whale whales from ex- from uh, extinction, uh, and also the processing and how the, the special types of and expensive ships that have been developed to optimize this and minimize any oxidative damage uh, due to a delay in processing.
1: Yeah, of course, I've been there quite a few years now, and uh, I have to admit, Dr. Michael, that I, I have fallen in love with Antarctica. <laughs> it's a, it makes a very lasting impression when you get down there because it's the last—it's really the last part of this globe that is relatively un spoiled by man and um so it kind of you see nature as it used to be um krill is uh probably the largest single species marine biomass um it's probably around the antarctic region you find more than 500 million tons uh in the region where we harvest it that is in West Antarctica, uh, the estimated biomass is 60 million tons. Um, and I've been on surveys uh, to, 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 to find out how much there is. Uh, and at least um, for now, uh, the amount has not gone down. Uh, so for the la- last at least a decade or even more, the amount seems to be stable uh, around 60 million tons. The last large-scale survey was in 2019, and I was actually following that one. Um, so, uh, and at the same time, Dr. McCullough, the number whales are back. Uh, I have actually seen it with my own eyes that number of whales over the years I've been there has increased, and now you occasionally you see thousands of whales. Uh, mm-hmm. So they um so they the whale population is back at where it was uh pretty much uh pre-whaling uh uh which is, is good to see and and um the catch we're allowed there is a international body called Camelar that that actually regulates the all the fisheries in the antarctic region and then, um the krill krill you find krill, types of krill all over the the globe but the antarctic krill is very particular it is larger than other krill and krill oil by de- definition only comes from antarctic krill because uh in other parts of of the world then the lipid structure will be different but but this um we catch we are allowed to catch uh less than 1% or 1% of the total biomass so 620,000 tons and uh, we've been around half a percent uh, up, to, uh, up until now. That's extremely conservative, uh, 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 extremely conservative quotas. And there isn't anything to suggest that what we do harm the population. Also, the way we harvest this, you have to be, be before,
0: able to be, harvest. Before, before go I go into the details of the way, I just wanted to note that some people are concerned that the harvesting yeah. of krill... Is going to impact the whale population, uh, which which is why I wanted to emphasize the point that you mentioned that, in fact, the whale population has increased to pre whaling levels from the, your discernment. Yes. So that's a good thing. It's it, the grill harvesting is not impacting whale populations. And, and it's certified by Sewer Stewardship Council, which is a third party independent, not paid off front group to, to, to establish that it's being done properly.
1: No, oh, it's been certified and also by it's supported by the research that is being done in the area. So there are in all sectors of, of, uh, of Antarctica. The whale whale population has increased. There is one sector in the uh, Pacific region that lags a little bit behind, but it's also the species of whales. Uh, mm-hmm. it's also humpback whales. It's fin whales. It is orcas. Uh, the blue whales are a little slower. They have a longer generation time, so they will probably keep increasing for the next maybe decade uh, or the next decades, maybe, uh, maybe even a centennium. So, but yes, we're back. And then we are back at the time when we also harvest krill, but the whales will eat way more uh, krill than we uh, harvest. Uh, uh, I've seen... Uh, calculation that suggests that whales at at a full population will take out something in the neighborhood of up to 200 million tons a year. But wow. this is a... Krill lives for about six years uh, mm-hmm. uh, and seems to have a tremendous uh, um, ability given enough algae to to increase its biomass, it increases mm. its biomass up, up until levels regulated by other factors. Really, uh, so uh, it's really the algae bloom in Antarctic in Antarctica that that governs the amount that uh, of krill. Uh, really, you would think
0: that the variables that contribute to algae bloom would actually be improving which is not necessarily good from an environmental perspective because typically it's it's phosphate pollution that causes the algae to grow now i don't know if that pollution reaches the antarctic but if it did that would certainly speak well for the algae right
1: no, and and in Antarctica, no. The, the 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 Antarctica is um, it's very special. It's an ecosystem completely, almost completely isolated from other ecosystems because of the circumpolar current. There is a drop uh-huh. in temperature uh-huh. along that current. That is only a few, a uh, few kilometers wide uh, or only a few miles wide, but there is a drop of three or three four degrees Celsius uh, sudden drop uh, in the southern ocean when when you pass through that one. and so for example krill will die when uh, if you put krill in a water that uh, at about two degrees Celsius they start to die. Uh, they mm-hmm. must be in that cold water and that's typical what, for all life there. What's the temperature and, of the Antarctica there is it zero? So. Yeah, it's from zero and down to the, the the minimum amount. I would say on the average it's probably oh so, so, uh, z- uh, minus zero point five Celsius. So that's uh thirty six uh, Fahrenheit or uh thirty five Fahrenheit. Um, I thought and... it'd be
0: below thirty two, wouldn't it? Zero yeah, is no, 32. no.
1: So sorry, low. So, sorry, sorry. Uh, my calculation error. So yes, uh, it, it's down at. 32 30 uh so in on in in the freezing range it right. all goes down to minus 1.3 1.4 uh, uh celsius um so freezing conditions really nice. and uh so it's it's really a very special situation the there is also there is little iron in, in Antarctica. So you see, for example, krill doesn't have iron as its oxygen-carrying prosthetic group. It actually mm. relies on on hemolymph, which has copper as its... Um, Interesting. Who would know? So that's that's why uh, krill actually contains a fair amount of copper. Uh, and, um, and the phosphates, there is t- no phosphate uh, pollution in Antarctica. You do see... Some PCBs, uh, Mm -hmm. very very small amounts, but you see very special patterns of PCBs in Antarctica, and you see some other uh, uh, pollutions that will be transported by by air and then condensate in the cold uh, climate. Still, what
0: what about heavy metals like mercury?
1: Uh, very little uh, heavy metals uh, we've analyzed we analyzed for it and others have analyzed for it and you find very low amounts of for example, mercury, uh, lead, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're not they're, they're not there. Uh, there are volcanoes in the area. Uh, for example, in what is called Decep- uh, Deception Island, uh, which actually is an active volcano. And there you could find it, uh, but, but uh, it's not spread around.
0: Okay. Interesting. So it's fascinating. So, you know, an argument that many people have about consuming krill is that as a food, is that it's not a food source for humans, that, that ancestral humans didn't consume krill. So how would you respond to that?
1: Well, then the same goes for any crustacean it's uh, there is krill is a crustaceans as good, as crustacean as good as any other crustacean and certainly humans have uh, been eating crustaceans uh, and we actually uh, seen we haven't harvested uh, Antarctic krill because it's where it is, but we certainly eat other types of krill. Um, you know, you could you could walk along the beach in beaches in uh, in uh, in Thailand, for example, and people have a little net that they drag uh, into the water, and then what comes up, it's called shrimp, but it's actually krill. Uh, but really? that's a different. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, I was tempted to say that nine out of ten whales uh, eat krill. Why shouldn't we do it? (laughs) (laughs) The first paper on the suggestion uh, suggestion on eating krills, uh, Dr. McCuller, was published in 1958, uh, Mm -hmm. actually the month I was born. Hmm. And uh, a guy called Pelequin uh, suggested in Scientific American that we should stop whaling and rather fish krill. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> he's higher up the food chain for sure. Yes, of course uh, we should uh, harvest as far down in the food chain as we could. Now, ideally we should have harvested algae, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't ask me to, to harvest the microalgae that is five micrometers across. Uh, you, you won't be able to do that. And, and to me, krill is just the sweet spot of it uh krill does the algae harvesting for us and then we harvest krill instead and that's energy efficient um and uh yeah it's just the size sweet sweet spot
0: all right so it seems the best retort to that concern would of uh, humans historically haven't eaten krill is that's not necessarily true they've eaten krill probably in some Asian countries it's is- just misidentified as shrimp so in in many ways it's just a different version of shrimp so if you've eaten shrimp you're pretty much eating krill yeah uh, which which also has the other con concern uh, and is a legitimate one absolutely that if you have a shrimp allergy that you really should avoid krill because krill, you're most likely to be allergic to, to krill too
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If you look at, we've looked at, um, you know, the, the, the primary allergen in, in crustaceans is uh, uh, tropomyosin. And uh, we, if you take tropomyosin from crab or from shrimp and you cross-react it with krill, then you definitely see a cross-reaction. So krill, uh, again, krill is a crustacean and it has the same type of molecule. And if you're allergic towards uh, to crustaceans, then you should stay away from krill, no doubt. Uh, uh, this, yeah. Um, also, uh, I, the, the Japanese also actually have eaten krill. Uh, what is called pac- Pacific krill. If you go to Japan, in every bar, they will ser- serve you uh, dried Pacific krill uh, as a snack. Oh, okay,
0: good. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. So you also mentioned that curl had some copper in it, and uh, yep. I've also been fascinated with copper since encountering Morley Robbins, and uh, you know many people seem to be deficient in copper, and, and iron deficiency anemia actually is frequently uh, confused with uh, copper insufficiency, or co- uh, actually the the lack of Optimally integrating copper into your metabolism in the in the in specifically ceruloplasm. So, what type of dosages are you seeing, uh, like in
1: micrograms of, of uh, copper? Uh, it, uh, this is really from the top of my head. Uh, okay. It's a long, but but it it's a significant amount. It's enough. Let's let's put me this way. It's enough for if I leave krill um, to oxidize i actually see the typical blue green color uh in in some extracts uh of of copper uh of of of, of, of um, uh, copper substances uh, uh if i'm not wrong if i'm say something like five milli- uh, micrograms uh, per gram then then i think i'm i'm not too too far wow from.
0: that's significant
1: it is it is definitely significant it, mm. the the Hemolymph, so the blood of krill. Um, mm-hmm. Hemolymph is the oxygen-binding molecule in krill blood that has copper as its prosthetic group. It's it's copper that is the center and that is coordinating the oxygen binding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also find a little bit of zinc. You find some uh, iron. Now, iron. the The Southern Ocean is iron poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, but but you find uh, yeah, uh, zinc is also one of those that you find a little bit of in, in krill.
0: So now I guess there's so so you make a pretty strong argument for considering krill uh, as a source of omega-3 and another valuable nutrients like like copper yeah. Uh, yeah. and ISO ISO no, lyso phospho, phosphatidylcholine, mm. and the phospholipids and the triglyceride uh, lipids. LBP, uh, uh, I meant lipids, I mean EPA and DHA. Yeah. So it's a good source. Now, interestingly, it's those lipids are relatively small uh, when you compare it to a typical fish oil supplement. Um, you know, like... Uh, see, in my my memory, I don't know specifics, but you would know, but I think it's like 90% less. Now to compensate for that is the radically improved absorption of the phospholipid form, as opposed to the ethyl ester or even the triglyceride form.
1: I would say more on the distribution part of it. Uh, so okay. it, it doesn't really help you that much if you're if your EP and DHA resides in your white fat or if it resides. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So, so, it, so it's, it's, it's really on the utility of it. um uh, esters are special. They do have an absorption problem. I would say neither phospholipids nor, nor triglycerides really has an absorption problem. It's, they're fairly well digested where you mm-hmm. see the difference between them is and how they're distributed, and that's exactly oh, why I think you need wow. both. So I would never talk down uh, fish oils. Now, uh, krill oil is more similar to what was called eighteen twelve oils. So in eighteen, fish, you said 18 twelve, eight, yeah, it's uh, krill is typically uh, eight nine percent DHA and okay. and twelve to fifteen percent EPA. Okay, and uh, so they're they're really um, it, it's not that different from what you find in natural sources. Uh, okay. You do not find any natural source with super high uh, concentrations of EPA and DHA. Then it is a concentrate of some kind. Uh, mm-hmm. You in nature you usually do not go outside of eighteen twelve. Uh, okay. So uh, that's just the way nature packages it.
0: Okay. All right, but the distribution. So, can you just talk more about the distribution? Because the light bulb went off when you said that. So, because I never really appreciated that until you said it. That it, it, I'm assuming it's winding up in the tissues that you really need it, like your brain, your retina, uh, your mitochondria. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, as we speak, writing up a paper on some of this because we, what we've done is that. To be able to analyze this, you actually have to use radio-labeled substances. Uh, so we've made them synthetic, and then we've put in a radio uh, a, a radio ligand. So C fourteen, a beta emitter in the carboxylic acid group, because um, otherwise your experiment is going to be way too diluted. Uh, mm-hmm. And by doing this, you could you could actually in 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 uh, in animals you could actually see exactly where the different Uh, labeled fatty acids go and what i can tell you is that there is a clear difference between the different forms Uh, and again uh, phospholipids uh, have uh, uh, certain specifics when it comes to the brain the eye the liver Uh, Triglycerol seems to have some specifics when it comes to for example uh, the cardio uh, the 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 cardio, not the cardiovascular, but in 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 in, uh, in heart muscle, for example. But uh, the, our heart is able to extract ep and DHA from the circulation uh, quite well. There are there is a very high lipase activity there. But what I can say is that it is a it's a really uh, diverse pattern, uh, and what it tells me is that so far is that we need both forms. Uh, and li- let me also point out that krill oil also do contain epn in triglyceride form it's krill oil really isn't an oil it is a lecithin it's a mm. mixture of triglycerides and phospholipids uh, mm. so so um, uh, nature provides both uh, and um, i think we, we need both all right so
0: Let's expand on the benefits of putting EPA and DHA in those tissues. The three that you mentioned were the brain, the heart, and the liver. So can you expand on the utility of having higher concentrations of those?
1: It goes into every tissue, Doctor Mancola. Uh, but it goes
0: into there better than the others. You said because that yes, was a difference
1: so, for brain different. and for brain and for for the eye, it, without doubt, uh, and uh, also the transport uh, across the placenta uh, is is dependent on ah, but, remem- right. but remember, but um, remember, it is um, how do I say this? It is uh, EPA and DHA. Uh, serves substrates for what I call lipid-derived signaling. And Mm -hmm. one must not forget that cells need to talk with themselves. They need Mm -hmm. to talk with their nearest neighbors. That's how uh, everything is kept uh, at bay, how cells self-regulate in a way that is beneficial for us. Now, the substrate for that signaling is usually fats or a fatty acid. And that's not strange at all, because those membranes that we talked about is everywhere in the cell. Mm. Everything in the cell is connected to a membrane. So the main signaling system, uh, So and then maybe people have heard about prostaglandines or prostacyclines or thromboxanes, uh, they, are, they are being made from fats excised from the membrane. And you could excise either omega-6s or omega-3s from the membranes, and that's dependent on the amount of these in the membrane. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you get two classes of signaling molecules. So when you make the signaling molecules from EPA, for example, you get uh, PGE3 and not PGE2. Um, And the same goes for 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 a number of these super important signaling molecules. And then further down the road... There is a type of molecules called resolvins uh, Mm -hmm. and maresins, which actually first you have inflammation, but inflammation needs to stop. So inflammation is there to fix a problem, but then it needs to be stopped. So to be resolved Mm -hmm. and EPA and DHA and also DPA, the forgotten of that triumvirate. That's a 24 carbon one, right? Uh, no dpa is 22 like dha but it has only five double bands okay there are actually one type of dpa that is omega-6 and another one that is omega-3 and i'm talking about the omega-3 dpa of course now epa is maybe as much as 25 percent of dpa epa is made into dpa and ends up in membranes Uh, but we're becoming more and more interested in the dpa but but those um, resolvents is absolutely necessary to stop inflammation from overdoing its job. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. First inflammation, then resolvation. Uh, and and that's the key uh, to healthy inflammation.
0: Now, 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 so- can, can I stop you there? Because I thought, and I'm sorry for the interruption, but no, important. No. It was my understanding that the resolvents, the protectants, the morassins you referenced, are available in the whole food like krill or cod liver oil forms of omega-3 supplements, not in the synthetic chemically derived fish oils?
1: No, they're not available. in. You can't, um, the these SPMs, as they're called, are very short-lived. You know, they live for microseconds. Uh, Mm -hmm. So they have a... a, a, It's typical for a a signaling molecule. So you can't take them as is. It's been tried in pharma to synthesize stable analogs. It's turned out to be a bad idea uh, Mm -hmm. because the whole essence is that it is going to be made in situ from Mm -hmm. EPA and DPA mainly, but also some from DHA. Do their job and then be gone. Uh, So... It's you have to do it the natural way here. Uh, so there are no such SPMs in any oils of any appreciable amount. And if it was there, it would die in your stomach or in your absorption anyway. So what you to have a a good SPM response, you need to load your membranes with EPA and DHA. Um, oh, and the source.
0: The, the source of the EPA and DHA is is not an issue. Then I was confused.
1: No, the source is not really an issue at all. It is okay. Well, thank about... you
0: for that clarification. I just, no. I just thought it was a whole food source, but they're very short-lived molecules, and they're actually produced in situ, in rather situ. than yeah. yeah. Okay, did not,
1: did I, not Yeah, there is. It's a very common misunderstanding, uh, but it, it's really all about in situ uh, production, and and again, it's part of this fairly complex uh, signaling cascade, really. Uh, um, our bodies have other such cascades. for example the coagulation system when you kick off coagulation you at the same time but in a time-fused manner you kick off fibrinolysis also so it's it's a normal theme in nature
0: okay so thank you for explaining all this and i'm still a bit confused though and i suspect some other people are also with respect to the relatively low concentration of the EPA and DHA in krill relative to other fish oils, which you said could be super concentrated. So you're in agreement that they're actually both beneficial, but can you provide the argument why adding krill, if you're taking a non-krill form, such as you were taking cod oil, that there may be a good cod oil supplement that was mm-hmm. processed ideally, that you that there probably is some benefit to taking krill as an adjunct because both together is probably better than either alone.
1: Exactly because you you get um, you get choline and you get choline in its natural form that is phosphatidylcholine which is important and you get um, a supply of both the molecule itself but also the raw material for the molecules that. Provide your body with lysophosphatidylcholine, which is necessary for the transport into these specific organs that I mentioned. Uh, and then, of course, with regard to liver health, then choline and phosphatidylcholine uh, has its own function, and it's been shown that both omega threes as well as phosphatidylcholine plays a role in in, in non alcoholic fatty liver development. And then you actually can reverse by taking uh, by eating marine fats, uh, specifically marine phospholipids, um, and uh, long-chain omega trees uh, in in that condition. But I don't mind at all that uh, if people mix and match, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't... Uh, for example, people ask me all the time, what if I can't afford grill oil? Then, then I say, well, take what you can afford and then add on fish oils. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mind that at all. Okay,
0: so... That helps. Uh, there, there's benefit to doing both, ideally. Yeah. And uh, you just have to take more krill. And you're right, the cost is higher just because of the harvesting. It's a lot more. I actually interrupted you in the harvesting because for a tangent. So maybe if you can recall where you were about the harvesting, we were talking about the processing because we'd never finished that thread.
1: You know, and, and, and this is where it's really different uh, because we harvest krill in a continuous process. We actually, we have a troll which is a huge net out there. And then there is a pump at the at the end, or not really a pump, there's a suction pump. But it comes live on board. So mm-hmm. I myself can put my hands into the flow of this and then live grill. I have live grill in my in my hands. And we then process it. Uh, that really means drying at relatively low temperatures immediately. And then uh, we bring that on land and we extract it not by heat or by any type of heat treatment but by ethanol extraction which is very unusual for for marine fats you usually do it other with and usually you need a lot of heat to to so so it's really and this is because it's a phospholipid uh, 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 it's a phospholipid uh, triglyceride mixture uh, you couldn't, uh, triglycerides are really not soluble in, in ethanol, uh, mm-hmm. but phospholipids are, and mm-hmm. the phospholipids drag the triglycerides out together with them. So uh, the whole, the whole uh, processing uh, from the very beginning, the way we fish it and all the way through is different for krill oil than for the other marine fats. parts, so way less use of heat, really.
0: And heat is one of the variables that will increase the peroxidation of those p- perishable fats.
1: If you're not doing it right, absolutely. Uh, and this is where you have found a source of, of good cod liver oil uh, mm-hmm. that obviously is doing it the right way. There are ways so you you can do it. Uh, but it's all about the processing. It's all about the processing. It's all about being fresh uh uh people may not know this but most of the at least cheaper fish oil products are made from fish oil that is stored in in huge tanks for years really of course they try to do it the best way they can but but um they at least freeze it Yep, and then you would have to process that raw fish oil into something that has the quality yeah. that you want. Uh, we don't do it that way. We we yeah. we take care of the uh, of the raw material from from second one, and then we don't we don't store it away in, uh, in, in 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 large storage tanks and then refine it to the quality we need. We try to take care of the quality from the very beginning to the very end, and we own. By the way, we own the whole, uh, whole, uh, uh, f- the whole value chain.
0: But, yeah, and um, then I think you're the largest big harvester of krill in the world, right? I mean, in a, in a large way. But I mean, like the giant, like almost no company. Comes oh no, to- no,
1: we are, we are, we are. We typically, our three boats typically do seven sixty to seventy percent of the total catch, uh, mm-hmm. among twelve boats. Mm -hmm. So we are by far the largest. And then, of course, uh, we have the infrastructure necessary also. Um, But, of course, you're you're absolutely right that uh, quality is something that you get when you put quality into every step in your chain.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for helping us understand that. And now I have a curiosity question with respect to... One of my passions was mitochondria. And I, th- I thought it was a shared passion, but from your knowledge of membrane physiology, can, is there any s- specific benefit or function biologically of the EPA and DHA in the mitochondrial membrane or s- certain other molecules like cardiolipin that is so important in the cristae function? <laughs>
1: There is no doubt that EPNDHA also is incorporated into the inner membranes of the cell. Um, so there they will always they will be a reflection of your total intake, exactly like what we call the outer membrane. Now, if a membrane is inside or outside, that's a different story. We, it's, it's a very philosophical question, what membranes really look like. It's mm-hmm. not like a ball. It's a very convoluted structure mm-hmm. uh, that has some fascinating, there is some fascinating aspects of that called topology. Uh, so mathematical Mm -hmm. Uh, but but um um, i think the Mm -hmm. verdict on ep and dha in the mitochondrial membrane is still out Uh, um, and frankly i asked dr Uh, william harris uh, as per today if Mm -hmm. they they are the ones who measure ep Mm -hmm. and dha in the erythrocyte membrane i asked him have you ever looked into ep and dha in mitochondrial membranes and he yeah. said that they were really interested in doing so, but so far they haven't really. Well, uh, it's, not, it's hard. <laughs> how are they going to do? Well, it it's, but it's not, not at all impossible. And for example, if we uh, would, you could do it by radio labeling. We could actually get some uh, some interesting results on that. It's absolutely how doable. You, how could you target to go to the mitochondria though? Well, you would just give it to a whole animal and then... Oh, okay. Extract it- the
0: mitochondria and see the percentage. Exactly.
1: And see, okay. Okay. and by radio labeling, you could really see if it happens. The other thing is the interaction with cardiolipin. That's an interesting one. Uh, and, and as you know, the, the standard, uh, so to say, ligand for cardiolipin is is actually, uh, as far as I know, palmitic acid, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So uh, what will the effects on cardiolipin be if you see a uh, an interaction with other fats? And frankly, I don't think we know. Uh, yeah,
0: it seems to me there should be some really Goldilocks equilibrium. You certainly don't want it full of it like it is today in most everyone because of the massively increased m- amounts of omega-6 linoleic acid. So a lot of the cardiolipin is, it has four, four fatty acids, four fatty acids, and many people, all four of them are le- linoleic acid. Probably almost none of them should be, but there probably is a small amount, you know, probably on the order of way under 5%, maybe one or 2% that serves some biological valuable function that we just don't know or appreciate, but it's important. And if it's not there, it's something that's going to be, working not less than optimally, I would think.
1: I think you're right. And then also with, with, uh, the mitochondrial membranes, we really need to make a difference between the, the inner membrane and the outer membrane. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, um, my take on it is that the outer membrane reflects the plasma membrane more than the Mm -hmm. inner membrane. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, but again, um, remember that also mitochondria needs to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and uh, mitochondria will also, uh, there will also be um, lipid-derived signals there. So, but this is, um, now I'm easily ending into something that scientists shouldn't do. And uh, we end up in speculation, rather. But but I think we have to realize that these are white spots on the map. Uh, mm-hmm. We have, been w- been viewing lipids as energy for uh, mm-hmm. or for decades or for almost from forever and not as structure, uh, despite the fact, Dr. Macola, that we're made of lipids. It's it really, uh, the, the the phospholipid membrane defines life. It defines the border between me and the environment outside. Without the membrane, no life. Uh, So we are at the very, very core of our own definition.
0: So could you expand, you you touched on it earlier about the structural component and helped me realize that it was because of the conformational increase in size, because of the shift and due to the double bonds, it takes up more space so it can contribute to structure as opposed to this this saturated fats, which are just simply straight lines. So how, can you just expand how that contributes to the structure? And then after that, go into the signaling component, which is also I didn't appreciate what's so so important, process so the, and function of these fats.
1: The unsaturated fatty acid in general, and in, in particular, uh, EPA and DHA are bulky fatty acids. So they, and, and they're bulky simply because they have these double bonds, fixed. Um, DHA is more of a linear uh, bulky structure, While EPA is more of a circular uh, Mm -hmm. bulky structure and it's, it can't rotate around its own, it's, it's, it's carbon. Uh, So it's, it's really fixed. And I think of them more as an architect than Mm. building blocks now. Like um, like a Lego, right? Yes. And then you have to start asking yourself what's going on in the membrane. Uh, Well, the membrane has response elements in it. So that mm-hmm. is transporters, uh, ion channels, uh, the electron trans- transport chain, you name it, all of this is connected to the membrane. And a lot of response elements needs to flow traversally in the membrane. So f- when mm-hmm. I say that the f- fluidity of the membrane, and doesn't necessarily think of it as the fluidity of the of uh, if it's if it's um, flexible on its outside, but more how response elements can flow traversally in the membrane, how mm-hmm. element A can reach to element B, because quite often you have two or three such elements that need to coalesce into one element to be activated. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if we go to signaling substance, the, the best way to describe this is through to be specific. And if we take prostaglandine, which mm-hmm. is a universal um, inflammatory signal. Mm-hmm. It is being made from, for example, arachidonic acid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an omega six. Uh, by first uh, phosphory- it the enzyme that is doing this sits on the inside of the membrane. So in the cytosolic uh, part of the membrane, and it sits there closely to the uh, to the membrane because. The substrate is a fat. The fat isn't soluble in water. So fat, so um, phospholipase A2, for example, is sizing out the fatty acid and feeds it directly into what is called the hydrophobic pocket of that molecule. So it doesn't have to traverse water to get in there. And the, that it's not really a one enzyme, it's two enzymes in one. So it's an epoxidase and a, an oxidase. And it spits out, instead of arachidonic acid, it spits out PGE2. Okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, if instead uh, phospholipid A2 takes out an, an, uh, an EPA, it spits out PGE3. And PGE3 has been shown to be less inflammatory usually than PGE2. That's Mm. the one. So the omega-3s are not anti-inflammatory. They are modulators of inflammation and they're Mm. part of a measured inflammatory response. So you because and then downstream PGE3 eh, is formed into maresins and, uh, for example, Uh, so the resolvins and actually actively stops the um, inflammation and then starts restoration instead and uh, the omega sixes do not do that to the same extent. So you need uh, you need EPA and DHA and DPA uh, to have this resolving function going as it should. Um, and this is really there, it's really only the we are only scratching the surface of this the tip we of the won't...
0: iceberg. <laughs> the tip of the
1: iceberg. And we, <laughs> so endocannabin for example, is another class of, of such uh, uh, lipid derived signaling substances. And so there is a, really kind of a whole so zoological garden coming around of these of these signals so, so uh, there's going to be a lot of exciting stuff and you know the prostaglandins were discovered in at the end of the 1960s and the very beginning of the 1970s yeah yeah when I was educated a pharmacologist I could still read about the action of aspirin uh, in Goodman and Gilman's Pharmacology, that was completely wrong. Uh, yeah, when I went to med school, we didn't
0: know that in pharmacology class they didn't tell us how aspirin worked. They didn't know. No,
1: they didn't know, I, or they came up with very, very inventive uh, ways of describing it. That was completely wrong. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. So, so
0: this yeah. has been so so delightful. So I'm wondering. I, I, so massive gratitude for helping me more fully appreciate the importance of regular uh, omega-3 supplementation, uh, at least until you're into the sub 1% of the population who has very low linoleic acid uh, and you're eating enough alpha linoleic, then maybe you can do it yourself. But if you're not part of that, you're gonna need to take omega-3 because of all the important functions you mentioned. So, and probably the simplest and best way, and my final question to you is from your perspective and your science background, your take on the ideal six to three ratio and is that the only in the membrane in the rbc membrane that that is inexpensively obtained and without a doctor's order uh to what what should that be and is it is it just the ratio that's important or is there an absolute value or quantitative quantitative component that is also important
1: it really doesn't matter since there is an exchange one by one. Uh, okay. So if you increase your omega-3 index to 8, then there will be a fixed amount of omega-6s left. Okay. Uh, so, so it really doesn't matter. You should get your measured by uh, omega quants or Dr. Harris's method. You should be um, at least 7. Uh, mm-hmm. I keep my level up at 10 uh, mm-hmm. or 11. Um, uh, you, there's probably not much use in getting higher than that I know that in dolphins for example we find uh, levels of 20 uh, wow. and I guess the whales that I see in Antarctica they will be sky high but <laughs> uh, but but uh, you should be 8 uh, and the only way to knowing this Dr. McCullough is to test yourself and there yeah, is yeah. Uh, it, it's available as, as a dried blood spot test um, and if you know your level And if you know how much omega-3s you need to take to be at that level, then just stay there. Uh, uh, Our our metabolism of of these fats is quite reliable. Uh, So if you know your individual uh, um, dose necessary to be there, then just be there. Um, Yeah,
0: And and Uh, because it's a red blood cell test uh, and, and red blood cells are the substrate for it, they uh, have a ha- they basically live for about three months. So there really is yeah. a limited benefit to testing more frequently than every three months. But <laughs> what do you recommend? Once a year? Once every six months?
1: I would think if you do it once a year, then yes. And you're if you don't, year. if you do not, remember the kinetics is very slow. So mm-hmm. you change. If you double your dose, mm-hmm. uh, it will take uh, the best part of three to six months until you're at steady state again. I okay. think the same goes for if you reduce your dose to a half, it also takes three to six months. Same. It's exactly the reverse. This is something that makes this tricky because you can't, you, you won't recognize from day one to day two uh, mm-hmm. your change, but mm-hmm. you will recognize it in six months. Six mm-hmm. months. So um, it's long-term. This is not pharmacology. It is nutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a question about being prepared when you need your lipid-based systems to function correctly, Um, if you do not take care of your membranes with regards to the right fatty acids, when you need them to respond correctly uh, or in a measured way, it's too late to take them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is being proactive and really the foundational basics. And it's a simple strategy. uh, And uh, I really appreciate perspective, which, uh, you, you know, you're, Deeply uh, deep in the science, and you have the knowledge base to give us insights that uh, really is hard to get in many other places. And you're objective about it. You're not really uh, bo- providing us with bias or skewed information that's going to promote the sale of your company's products. It's just the facts are the facts. You're a true scientist. So I deeply appreciate that.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pre- re- real pleasure
0: yeah yeah i was looking forward to this and i certainly wasn't disappointed so thanks so much when when it changes something up my health strategy it's it's a it's a big win so if it's a win for me it's going to be a win for a lot of other people so thanks because you clear up a lot of confusion on some really important and foundational topics and i think a lot of there's a lot of confusion on this in the in the in the general population so i think this is going to really help a lot of people
1: Lipids has been the, the forgotten molecules. Uh, I told internally in ArcoBioMarine that I would be satisfied with my work in ArcoBioMarine when phosphatidylcholine is on the front page of Time magazine and voted the molecule of the year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. You keep up the great work and, uh, you know, and keep educating us. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Bye it's been now. a pleasure. Thanks.